Uh, if you have a Bible, you can go with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll continue our study through there. Um, you can actually find Hebrews 12. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. You can find Hebrews 12 and stick your finger right there. And this is why you need a real Bible instead of a telephone. So you stick your finger right there. Or the guy sitting next to you can... You can both open it up. You stick your finger in your Bible and then go with me to Matthew 7 and stick your finger right there. I will pray for us and we will go ahead and dig in. As my phone then doesn't work. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny. There we go. Uh, King Jesus, we thank you for today. We pray your grace and mercy over us. Uh, Jesus, you're our Jesus. You're our God. We know you. You love us and we love you. You have entered into human history to reveal yourself to us. And because of you, we are the people of God. And because of you, we, ha- we know God. And because you've moved in history, you've crushed the beef between us and you. You've made us right with you. You are the same God that appeared to Moses at Sinai. Jesus, you are the same God that entered into human history, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and has saved us from ourselves. And you, God, are the same God that is here with us now. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. This is not simply an exercise. This is us coming together as your people to gather as your church, to meet with you and to hear from you. The things that are of me, God, I pray would be forgotten, but I pray you would meet with us, you would reveal yourself to us, and you would speak to us through your word today, God, that we would know you, Jesus, and love you, Jesus, and that though we might walk in here with sort of this idea, yeah, I'm a Christian and this is my thing, that we would leave here today knowing this is our Jesus, this is my Jesus, this is Jesus who saved me, this is Jesus who is mine, this is Jesus who I belong to and that that would be our only hope that we're yours and you are ours Uh, Jesus we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy and in your name Jesus Christ amen okay so as I said so we're going to be in in Hebrews 12 and we've been working our way through this book uh, but I want you to find Matthew 7 because I think we need what's in Matthew 7 to carry us through uh, for the rest of the text Uh, Matthew 7 of course is the Sermon on the Mount which is one of Jesus one of the longer sections we have of Jesus talking and is perhaps the most famous uh, sentence sentence sermon uh, in all of human history and we're at the very end uh, in 7 uh, and 24 it says this Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine... And does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, of course, Jesus' primary teaching is about himself. Jesus' primary teaching is the gospel. Jesus' primary teaching is that he was the one and he said, I'm the one who's come to fulfill all of human history. I'm the one who's come to live. I'm the one who's come to bring the kingdom. I'm the one who's come to heal the sick. I'm the one who's come to give sight to the blind. I'm the one who's come to show. Show the Father. John's Gospel is so clear on that. You want to see God the Father? You look right here at Jesus. Not here at Jesus, but it's Jesus, what he says, right? So Jesus' clearest teaching is himself. The clearest good news of the Gospel is Jesus has come to save us from ourselves to him. From living selfish, self-centered lives to living lives for God, by God, and about God. The greatest gift of the Gospel is life. The greatest gift of the Gospel is what I get out of the Gospel is I get Jesus. 
This is Jesus' teaching. Uh, and, and that is what we found our lives on. I build my house. The uh, kids' ministry song just cuts to the mustard, right? The wise man built his house on Jesus Christ. Or some, I always screw up because I didn't grow up in church. And then I screw it up when I try and sing the kids' songs. And then I miss it. But it's a good song nonetheless. So grab a kid. No, grab a kid. I'll stop there. <laughs> you hear yourself say things, and you're like, that was not what I should have said. And Pete's recording it, and then there it is. So, you know. But they know. You've got kids. They sing this song all around the house. You're like, yeah. My kids preach the gospel more than just about anybody. Because they just sing these basic truths. They believe them. Um, But anyways, um, so we live in a time and a place that is very dangerous because we know any little, not little kid, see, and I say it again. So any kid who's 14 years old, uh, who's listening to Minor Threat, knows the means by which we try and build our lives on significant are hollow and empty, right? You know, money, power, job, you know, it's, 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 it's fleeting and we know it, right? You are the king of MySpace, gone. We, we try and use these means to build a legacy. We try and uh, use these means to build... And everyone's like, MySpace. I'm like, yes, I'm old. It was a thing that was Facebook before there was Facebook. Okay? So that's go- it's gone now. It's gone. Poof. Okay? Now we try and use these means that we know are fleeting and empty to build our lives and find significance and meaning and purpose in our lives. And we think somehow, despite the fact that we're using hollow, empty means, that somehow we're going to build our rock, our life on a rock that's going to last or count. Because if you build your life on your job, someday you might retire. Not anymore, because we live in the world we live in. But you know, at some point in time, you're like, huh, making shoes didn't do it. Here I am. I built my life on this thing, and now it's over. And now I'm just going to golf or play pinochle or whatever and be bummed that it's over because it wasn't built on anything and it disappeared. Uh, today, the text in Hebrews, and we'll get there, uh, has something greater and better for ourselves than building our lives on our jobs or on power or success or what people think about us or reputation. or the, You know, we can just keep going and going and going and going. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12 looking at what it looks like to build our lives on Jesus and the implications uh, there within. So verse 18 in chapter 12 um, We've been working our way through Hebrews, and it gets weird because there's a lot of animal sacrifice and blood, and there's these warnings, and fortunately it was Easter, so I got to break up a hard chapter and say, okay, let's just talk about the resurrection, now let's get back into weird, hard stuff. And so if this is your first time with a Christian community, if this is your first time opening up a Bible, I would just encourage you, please stick with me. We're going to talk about consuming fires and all kinds of stuff. Just just give give me some some space, okay? Not give me some space. That sounds like you should go. No, stay, stick with me, hang on, and we'll, we'll get through it, okay? So in 18, it says this. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am so, I so, uh, indeed said, I so terrifying. What? Indeed, so terrifying was, there we go. I have my little mark there. I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay. So the, the intended 
audience of Hebrews is a group of uh, Jewish believers who've come to realize that Jesus is the Messiah, the one there. Old Testament, this is not three books, three names for the same book. The Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible are all talking about this one who's going to come. That one who's coming is Jesus, the one who Isaiah said is going to bear our griefs, the one who Isaiah said is going to wipe every tear from every eye, the one uh, that that, uh, Jeremiah said that that when he comes, God's going to remember our sins and lawless deeds no more, Uh, the one who God said was going to crush the snake in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve broke everything. He's going to come beat Satan and on and on and on and on and on about Jesus. God himself comes to save us from ourselves. And they saw, yeah, this is the one the scriptures had talked about. Now the problem is the heat was getting turned up. Sometimes the heat gets turned up. So uh, at this point in time, it's still okay to be Jewish. It's not okay to be Christian in first century Palestine. Uh, the Christians are weirding people out. Uh, they, they do communion, which, you know, this is body, his body broken and blood shed for our sins. And again, if this is your first time in a Christian community, that might be a little weird sounding. It's bread and wine in which we use to remember Jesus dying on the cross to crush the beef between ourselves and God. But if you're just hearing about that, and you don't have like a reference point you're just hearing. So there's these guys and they're Christians and they think this dude was God. And it sounds like they're eating blood and flesh and marrying their sisters and stuff because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the rumors fly and it, the heat's getting turned up. And so it's not popular to be a Christian. Uh, the persecution is coming. But not only that, uh, is that they, it, it seems that they probably, uh, so, so the context is these people grew up with things like the temple. These people grew up with things like the sacrificial system. They, they grew up with the priests in their, uh, you know, it's called an ephod, but that doesn't help anybody with anything. But it's a, you know, it's some big jewelry with some agates on it, I guess, you know. Like, that doesn't, that's not really helpful, but if you're used to growing up in this thing, it sort of seems crunchy and, and real and, 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 like, you can smell it and you can taste it. And then all of a sudden you find out Jesus has come and that thing's over. And what Jesus has done is greater and better because God himself has come, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve, to crush the beef between ourselves and God, to give us full and unfettered access to the God of the universe through everything he has done. And then he says things like, now y'all are the temple. Not the big thing in Jerusalem. You're the temple. Now the Holy Spirit's going to come dwell inside of you. And you don't have to go to the curtain to meet with God. God is going to meet with you because if you are a Christian, and we forget this so quickly, so I do say almost every week, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. God is here and among us because he has made us holy through his cross. So God can dwell inside of us, live with us, and do life with us, and we have unfettered access to him. Now here's the problem. Because that's a beautiful truth. And if we don't keep our minds and our hearts dialed into that, it quickly slips from our hands, doesn't it? That Jesus is with us all the time through the Holy Spirit. He's with you now and now and now and now. And you're going to leave here and he's going to still be with you. And we come together and there's something cool and the church comes together because the church is together where the church gathered. But you're still going to go and you're still going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit as you go here. Right? This is, this is big, significant stuff. And you didn't probably grow up. None of us did because it got torn down, you know. 2,000 years ago. You didn't grow up around the temple, so you don't have a thing to compare there. But if you imagine that, you come to this temple, and there's guys with the thing, the ephod, I guess, and you're there, and you're used to it, and then all of a sudden, you're like, so now what do we do? We're, we're Christians. We do these things called potlucks, right? Everybody brings something, and we eat it. And you're looking around in this room. You're looking around doing the thing, the Sunday gathering. We come together. You're at a potluck, and you're like, so there's no priest. 
There's no sacrifice. As people in 2014 were like, Whew, thank you. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and you're telling me this is, this is where God's at? This is where he's at? And if you lose that, if your heart gets out of tune with that, you're like, well, yeah, but the, the temple's got the priest with the thing and the incense and stuff. That felt sacred and holy. And you miss that you've been made holy? They begin to drift from that truth and, and become, have the appeal of the sort of other old stuff they got into. That's why I'm saying you haven't come to what's been touched. Yeah, you could touch Mount Sinai. You could, God appeared in his presence. And he was manifest over the tabernacle, over the, the Ten Commandments could be touched. And now he's saying, no, 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 the Ten Commandments could be touched, but now I've written the Torah, the teaching of God on your heart now. So it's not external, it's internal. But as human beings, we love to have something we can just kind of touch and grab and think about. And he's saying the reality is now greater and more profound. It's not a circumcision of the body, it's a circumcision of the heart. It's all this stuff. And they're beginning to say, well, yeah, but the gold thing is cool. And, you know, we killed some turtle doves. And he said, I've been forgiven for my sins. And I feel good about that. Which, again, in 2014, we're like, what are you? This is weird. Stick with me. It'll make sense, I promise. Well, I hope. I shouldn't make empty promises. Uh, but we'll keep going. Um, so he's saying this. For you have not come to what may be touched. And he begins to explain these things. And these are all out of Exodus in the uh, you know, late teens, early 20s of Exodus. A blazing fire and a darkness and a gloom and a tempest. So God appears, manifests on Mount Sinai. And he meets there with Moses and he gives him the law. And it's also worth noting that God gives him this law. This is how you live. But God didn't give him the law first. He saved him first. He brought them out of Egypt. He saved them from Pharaoh. He saved them from this hegemonic ruler that was, was keeping them under lock and key, uh, you know, and getting, things were getting worse and worse. So first they got to make bricks, and they got to make bricks without straw, and he's bringing it down, and, and they get liberated, and God saves them, and he doesn't say, hey, will you do what I say? He says, I'm saving you. You get saved. You're out there. Here's how you live in response to my holiness, and he appeared manifest there with Moses, and it freaked everybody out. Because honestly, I think sometimes we can say, yeah, I'd like something crunchy. I'd like something tangible. And then when God actually reveals himself to us, we're like, whoa, that's more than I thought. I just thought it was going to be like kind of cool and we'd light some incense and you might tell me what kind of job I should do for a living. God's more in the business of showing you his holiness and his power than just telling you what you should do with the rest of your life. Because when you see his holiness and your power, you realize, I just want to do whatever you want me to do with the rest of my life. But anyways, he's there at uh, Sinai. He reveals himself to them. And this is what he says. So, so all this wild stuff happens. And he says, and these words, these phrases are the same. For you have not come to what may be touched. But you've come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. And honestly, unless you listen to a lot of reggae, you don't think about words like Zion very much. Um, and by the way, in reggae song, Zion is not theologically necessarily accurate. But Zion, another word for Zion is Jerusalem. Zion is the capital city uh, of Jerusalem. And here when we talk about the heavenly city, this is, this is using language that is as like guys in Seattle, guys and gals in Seattle, we don't always think about because we don't have kings and stuff. So the capital is where the king lives. The capital is the epicenter of the kingdom. When it's saying Zion, we're to think about the king, we're to think about his kingdom, and he's saying you, you, Anchor Church, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the kingdom of God. 
I, I came to Finney Community Center is where I came. What do you mean I've come to Zion? It's past tense. It's actually technically perfect tense, which means a past tense thing with ongoing results. If you are a Christian, you have entered into the kingdom of God. And the reason we enter into the kingdom of God is the king, Jesus. And now we live our life with the king, and his kingdom becomes manifest as we worship him, love him, and love him, and love others. And where Jesus is at work, his kingdom is present. The church, not just the Finney Center, right? Because we're going to leave here, and then the ukulele comes in, and I don't know if the kingdom of God is with those guys or not. I'm not going to make that judgment call, but they have ukuleles, but they're not doing a church service, right? It's just a building, but the kingdom of God is manifest. I mean, look around the room. We don't fit together by the world's standards. My best friends shouldn't be my friends, but the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't make sense as far as the world is concerned, but what we do have is Jesus. And because we have Jesus, We've got everything. And when that starts happening, the kingdom of God is manifest. You have come to the kingdom of God. You have come to Zion. This, I, I, it's hard to emphasize something when it's written so simply. It's already happened. If you love Jesus, and we can sit around and have a thousand lunches about how it can be the first century church and a thousand, you know, mushu pork spent. Man, what if we were really the people of God? What if we, you are really the people of God. You are really the church. You are really these people already, not because anything you do, a plan you dream up, or a scheme you have, but because Jesus Christ, God himself, entered into history, adopted you into his family, and welcomed you into his kingdom. That's truth. You cannot earn it. You can't make yourself more holy. You can't... um, you know, develop a Bible reading plan that gets you through the good book in 30 days or less, and now you get into the kingdom. Now you get the stamp on the password. Now you get the merit badge. It could be the worst day of your life in terms of how you're feeling right now in your closeness to the king. If you are his, this is where it gets really simple, you are his. If you say you love Jesus, I mean, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? We sing that song as grown-ups at this church for a reason because sometimes we forget. And, And the thing about it that can get weird is that it's not always crunchy and it's not always tangible. You're at work. It's Tuesday afternoon. You have no incense lit. You're a member of the kingdom of God. You're an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so they're thinking we need something crunchier. If God, I mean... God, if God would just tell me what to do, I would just do it. If he just show up, I'd do whatever he said. He has told you what to do. Love God, love people, trust him. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. By the way, he has told you. If he just talked to me, he has talked to, I was going to say talking. He has spoken in his word to you. Do you read his word? How would you know what his voice sounds like if you don't spend any time listening to it? And it's a gift. It's not, here's my guilty thing, and now you're like, okay, I'll set my alarm, and I'll wake up, and I'll hit snooze three times, and I'll read a verse, and then I'll go to work. Hey, the point's not that I guilt you in reading your Bible, because guess what? If you feel so guilty that you're going to read your Bible tomorrow morning, you're going to hit snooze four times the day after that. Because guilt's not the thing that's going to get you in this. I'm telling you, you get to meet with God in this. And I know I use this as an example, but it works a lot. 
Like, I don't have to set the timer with my wife. I get to do date night. Date night is the most exciting night of the week. Right? God has spoken and he wants to talk to you. And I believe God speaks outside of this. He speaks all kinds of ways. It's consistent with the scriptures. It's got to be consistent with the scriptures, by the way, when he's speaking. But you have full... And, and something about all this stuff can feel so pedantic to us. That we're like, I, I just need a guru. I, I just need someone to tell me some secret knowledge. I, I just need something bigger than that. And that's what they're after. And he says, no. You have come to Zion. And he goes on. Oh, man, we're not going to get to your lunch today. That's what happens. Oh, well. Mount Zion in the city of the living God and heaven, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in feastal gathering. That is a fancy way to say a party. By the way, a big party. And there's angels there. So it's a good party. And to the assembly, or the ecclesia, or the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. When you become a Christian, like I said... I mean, you, you might never come back to this church again. You might never come to one of our meetings again. Uh, and we'll all see each other in the kingdom of God if you're a Christian. That's profound. You meet a Christian on an airplane. You never see him again. They touch your heart. God uses them in some way. You're never going to see them again until the kingdom. This, I mean, there's power in this reality. You're at the grocery store. By God's grace, you finally have the ability to say, well, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and Jesus saved me, and this is my life, and this is how he saved me, you should meet him too. And you never see that person for 10,000 years. But man, when you bump into them in the kingdom, you're a tool in God's hands to save them. But man, I mean, you might not be like, here, look on Facebook, here's all the people I evangelized to. Does that matter in the kingdom? Does that matter when you touch their, when God used you to touch their heart and save them to his family forever? This, again, he's trying to draw them into these profound and yet very simple things that we just really honestly take for granted. It's Sunday and it's 1030 and I guess it's time to show up. To meet with the people of God. To hear the truth about who he is. So I can get synced up and go back to work tomorrow where none of my employees love Jesus. Or not my employees, my, my you know, Coworkers, my fellow students, my professors care about Jesus in any way. In fact, they're, they're often misrepresenting the truth about who he is. In fact, you might be here and you may have the misrepresented truth about who God is because God is great and wonderful. And I don't know that we all see him that way here in 2014. So anyways, so there's a party and it's a good party and we're all going to be there and it's going to be great. For you come... So now mind you, Moses... Moses got to meet with God, and God spoke to him and gave him the law. But, so that's what Moses got, but here, here what you have. Okay, remember, this is what you have if you are in Christ. And to God, you've come to God, the judge of all, the one who will settle every score. I think sometimes when we hear judge, we, we get freaked out because there's the word Judge. The reality is that God is not into injustice. Injustice actually angers God, and that can feel uncomfortable. Like, oh, God, I don't know, God getting... There is nothing that's happening right now. I got a buddy who's uh, part of an amazing group. You should actually check out when you have a chance. 
not now, even though you have a phone and the internet. Uh, my buddy Matthew Miller is with a group called Love 146, and they're based out in Connecticut, and they do human trafficking stuff globally and locally. Every one of those dudes has a story that starts with them getting angry at injustice. That organization exists because people are angry at injustice and working to fight for justice. And God, you read Isaiah and you can't help it. God loves justice. He's into justice. And he's a just judge. Though, again, that can make us uncomfortable until they actually think about, yeah, there's a lot of things that are really unjust and horrible and make me angry and I wish I did more about in my life. Moving on. And the spirits of righteousness made perfect into this, uh, into Jesus. You have come to Jesus. He's not hiding. If you're a Christian, you don't need to find him. You have him. You have Jesus. You already have him. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So with Moses, Moses is the mediator, and his brother Aaron's the mediator, and there's all these other mediators that have names like Hezekiah was a king, but it's a fun name to say. These guys are the names you can't pronounce that are in Hebrew. And, and they go to God for the people. Once a year, the guy goes into the place where the manifest presence of God sits. There's no mediator, if you're a Christian, between you and God. Jesus has broken down the wall between us and God. There's a gap between us and God. Jesus has crossed it. We're not holy. God is holy, and we can't draw near to him. And we can't get ourselves holy. You can't Sunday best your way into holy. You can't not cuss your way into holy. You can't not rated our movie your way into holy, right? Because you're holy, you do holy things. But it's ultimately God who is holy, who is consecrated, that's a fancy word, consecrated you. He's set you apart. He's made you holy. He's made you his. He's crossed the gap. He's crushed the beef. He's washed you clean. So we already have in him. And now you don't need a meter. My job, I get at the Boys and Girls Club, it was easier because we were all on the floor together. But, but the guy standing here, whether it's me or Joe or Eric or somebody leaning music or whatever, I am not the mediator between you and God. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus, who is God. Right? It's, I, I can't carry you to Jesus. I can point you to him. Because I, when, I see him, when I see him clearly, all I want to do is say, hey, everybody, there he is. But it's not, hey, get in my car and I'll drive you to him. Right? You don't have a me. I'm a dude. Right? I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm just going to say it. The thing I want in your life is not for you to be a person who says, well, Andrew said this, and Andrew said that, and Andrew said this. Well, you know what Andrew thinks about that. I want you to be good Bereans. I want you to open the Bible, and I want you to test it. I preach line by line from the Bible and want you to have your Bible. You don't have, I don't make you do anything. You don't have to bring your Bible. I want you to have your Bible. I want you to have it open because I want you to hear what I'm saying and I want you to look in this text and say, yeah, that's what it says. I don't want to off-road. I don't want to give you some advice. I give horrible advice. You should see the CD collection I have. I use Dixie Chicks references in sermons and get crud for them for two weeks from everybody else. Two weeks, no one will let up on the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> At all. I give horrible advice when it's not from the book. I'll, I'll tell you what it says. And then you look at it and say, yeah, that's what it says. So that you don't run around saying, well, Andrew says this, and Andrew says this, and Andrew says that, or Joe says this, or Eric says that. You say, you know what the Bible says about that? You know what Peter says about that in First Peter? You know what Jesus says about that? You know what it says about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 2? 
I'm going to be people of the book. You don't need me to mediate. I, I point, and I want you to point with me to to Jesus, I want you to point me to Jesus. I want you to be the people who, when I am lost from the gospel, uh, when, I'm, when I'm in anxiety or whatever, for you to be, you know what, Andrew? Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know what? Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I don't need you to say, well, you know what you said in your sermon last week? That's not helpful. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. That's what I need from you, and that's honestly what you need from me. You don't need the other stuff. You need that. And that applied. But really, you can... That's a weird thing, right? We've got a thousand tornadoes in this room. I don't know what you're coming in out of. I don't know what you're going out to. And if I try and... Uh, make you like me like a middle schooler and try and guess what your problem is this week and then try and tailor my sermon around your problem this week. I'm, first of all, I'm imagining whatever your problem is and then I'm just trying to give you some advice to solve it. But if I tell you that God is holy and God is faithful and he never will leave you nor forsake you, uh, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, I don't know what your tornado looks like this week, but I know that that truth will speak into your tornado. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What? This is Bible. But this changes. It gets in that tornado, doesn't it? And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and we spent a lot of time on the new covenant, and I wish I had time to spend on it now, but uh, we'll get there again as we track through Hebrews, and you can find some old sermons that talk about it stuff, but, or study it. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, Genesis 4 tells us that Abel's blood cried out to God because of the great injustice that his brother Cain had done to him in murdering him. But what does Jesus' blood say to us? Clean. It is finished. Forgiven. Blood bought. You were bought at a price. You are not at your own, but you are Christ Jesus. We remember his body broken and blood shed because he's made us free. He saved us from ourselves. He's made us right with God, right? That's a lot louder than Abel's blood. Okay. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Uh, what's important here is we understand that God, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of the wrong word, but sort of the right word, God is simple. Uh, it, it's not like the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, and God the Father is sort of the angry New Testament, Old Testament God, and Jesus is sort of the nice, friendly, meek New Testament God. One God. He's, he's all the things at the same time. He's equally the just and the justifier all at the same time. He's equally, we can equally say of him, God is love and he's holy. And God is righteous, and he's true. And he's not sort of more one of these things at another time or another. He's all these things simultaneously, all the time. Okay? Because Jesus, I mean, the, the thing the text is trying to tell us here, and, and over and over and over and over and over and over again in, in Hebrews and John's gospel, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. That's supposed to freak us out and melt our faces. The God of the Old Testament, who appeared... It's this big, old, scary, holy, gloomy thing was born as a baby. 
He's both these things at the same time. He came in a way nobody expected. For if they did not escape when they refused him, because it goes really poorly next in Exodus, but you can, it's there. It's a whole other sermon. They make a pretend God. They say it's God. God doesn't like it very much. And it goes really poorly for everybody. Um, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will, they, will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, uh, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may, return, may remain. The, the thing about the, the story of the Bible is that God made everything good. We broke it. God promised to fix it. He sent his son to redeem us and to save us. And ultimately, he is going to return... And he's going to put this earth back the way it's supposed to be. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's going to put you back the way you're supposed to be. With a resurrected, real live body. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye. Uh, it's not like, pie in the sky, we're up with wings and... I don't know. I see my mom's Christmas angels and they have a banjo. And I know that's wrong. <laughs> we're not that. We're here. The new heavens and the new earth. And it's not nine holes of golf forever or whatever anyone else fills in the blank there. It's with Jesus forever, his church restored, evil and injustice dealt with, the earth put back the way it's supposed to be, every tear wiped from every eye. And it, there will be a shakeout. There will be a shakeout. Therefore, I'll get to that one in a second. I think there's, there's two big things, my big two fears. So, so what's going to get shaken out is everywhere we've put our hope in something else, everywhere we put our, our, our trust in something other than Jesus. And, and obviously there are tons and tons of people who just think that we are making a bad choice getting out of bed at 1030 and we're putting our hope in something that's not even uh, worth it, right? And maybe you're here just checking it out. It's worth it. Jesus is real. My two big concerns for us, like as a pastor, my concern for Christians, the two big shakeouts I see happening, the, the two big things I see wrecking people and shipwrecking their faith, uh, one I will call uh, wrong Jesus and one I'll call wrong faith. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, we can put our hope, you could be here for the wrong reasons. You could be a, calling yourself a Christian for the wrong reasons. Your hope's in the wrong Jesus because your hope's in the Jesus who's going to make you healthy and wealthy. Your hope's in the Jesus who's going to give you a house or a husband or a wife. Your hope's in the Jesus who's going to give you money or a comfortable lifestyle. Remember the text we looked at? The rains are going to fall. Okay, I don't know your tornado. You might be in the middle of a rainstorm because the rains are going to fall, the winds are going to blow, the floods are going to come, and it doesn't say, and if you love Jesus, you can circumvent all that. It says if you're hanging on to Jesus, you're going to survive the storm. Because when you put your hope in something else and it just disappears, you're just left with that emptiness. And God's going to shake it all out. He's, he's going to shake it all out. Okay, so, so the reason I love Jesus is not so he will give me something. 
The reason I hang out with church folk is not um, so that I can get something out of the deal. The reason I love Jesus is because I get Jesus out of the deal. The purpose of following Jesus is following Jesus. And Jesus is all I want. Now, the other thing is what I'm going to call, and I want to do this carefully, I'm going to call it wrong faith. And I've seen this just shake people down. And when I mean wrong faith, I don't mean that you've picked the wrong world system of faith belief or some scholastic way to say it. And I did hint at it earlier. By wrong faith, I mean your faith and hope is built on something less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Your faith and hope is built on your denominational or place in some kind of church movement. Your hope or faith is built on a teacher and not the Bible. Your hope and faith is built on, well, all my friends are Christians and I'm, I'm going to be a Christian too. Your hope and faith is built on, well, my parents are Christian and I'm just going to adopt their faith. Because it turns out all it t- took for me, my parents are Christians, was a weird, not really growing up in a Christian home thing but they would say they were Christians, and because they said we were Americans and Christians, therefore I am an American and a Christian, right? Like, all it took was one seventh-grade global studies teacher to shake that thing down. One guy who had an axe to grind against Jesus shook it right down. Buddhism, whatever, and whatever, whatever, whatever from there. Seventh grade. It didn't really take much. Because my faith wasn't in Jesus. And, and my job uh, is not to help, you know, um, just have you think right things. And I want you to think right things. But I want you to think right things because you know Jesus personally. Because you believe his word and have made it your own. You have appropriated it and owned it. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, you don't look around saying, what are we going to do? How am I going to read the Bible? How is someone going to tell me about Jesus? Because at some point in time, my kids aren't going to have me. They're going to have to have their own faith. And someday, if you outlive me, and I'm at this church, and you're at this church, you're not going to have me either. Right? So this is why with our Bible studies and the discipleship stuff we do, if you want to read the Bible with another person and have them help you understand the Bible, we can do that, but here's what we're not going to do. Give you a thick packet of curriculum to mediate your life between God and his word. Our Bible studies are Bible studies where we open the Bible and say, hey, what do you guys see? Because at the end of the day, if, we have, if you live your life, and I think this is the great, ah, be careful here. I don't want to go off too far. This is our great crisis moment as the church in the world right now. I think there's not been a time where people are more dependent on mediators and other teachers and curriculum and websites to mediate their reality and life with Jesus than any other time in human history. Any other time in the history of the church. Now, I'm not saying preachers are bad. And I'm not saying websites are bad. I'm not saying curriculum's bad. I'm saying, if I burned your curriculum, would you stand in the gospel of Jesus? If I get hit by a bus, do you stand in the gospel of Jesus? If we remove the phrase, so-and-so said, from your vernacular, do you have anything to say about Jesus? Because you know his word. You've made it your own. Because that's what's going to happen. When the tornado hits, it's the only thing that's going to stand. You own this on your own. You can stand on your own two feet. My, my job is not to make you dependent on me. My job is to help you stand on your own two feet like a grown-up in the faith. Why? 
Therefore, um, oh, sorry. Yeah, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Yeah, every Easter, some guy from Princeton's going to put out a book. The Bible's going to stand. If you're standing in the gospel, you're standing in Jesus, stuff gets weird. There's nothing weirder than sitting in the hospital with a friend whose kid is sick. And the air of the room is a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's nothing weirder than walking with people, crying with people in the middle of the tornadoes of their life. And they sing songs of praise to King Jesus. It's weird. It freaks you out. I know I'm supposed to say, I'm supposed to tell you you're supposed to have peace, of, but you're having the peace that surpasses all understanding. Being with a godly saint on their way out to go home to be with Jesus. No fear. No fear. Peace. It's weird because it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. They can take everything from us. If you're, if you're standing in the gospel of Jesus, they can take everything from you. But they can't take Jesus from you. So what do we do with this? He tells us, which is nice. Because then it's easy for me. Let us be grateful for receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with, uh, with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is an Exodus reference. This is in light of the holiness of God, the purity of God, the perfection of God. When we don't believe that when we have Jesus is unshaken, uh, we look for something else. We look for something else to anchor our life to. We look for some other hope, some other thing to hang on to. Just something we can wrap our minds around and know it's going to be there tomorrow. When we miss Jesus, is going to be here forever. Or we just don't believe he's who he said he is. We just don't believe he's unshaken. We just don't believe you, you lose your house and your car and everything and it's all gone. Where was Jesus? He's right there with you. Because all those things, are, those are all rust. Anywho. Anywho? You hang out with four kids under six and you say weird things like anywho. So what do we do? We live in gratitude. This thing's not going anywhere. We live in worship our whole life and it's lived in response to the goodness that he's washed us and made us clean. And that tornado can knock us around, but it will not blow the house down. And we do this with awe and we do this with reverence. Because the God who would come to save us from ourselves as grace, because I don't have anything to offer him. He doesn't, he, doesn't need whatever's, he doesn't need whatever's in the coin jar in my car. It's about all I got. He doesn't need that from me. He didn't need anything from me. My whole life in him is a gift. It's all of grace. It is all his mercy. It is all his idea. He loved me first. It's all him. He didn't have to do that. So how do I respond? I respond in gratitude that I have this kingdom that cannot be shaken. I respond in worship, living my whole life, enjoying him and loving him and pointing to his beauty. And I live with awe because he's holy and I'm not. And the only reason I'm holy is because he's come and made me holy. So I live in awe of that reality. And I live in reverence. And, and, and my whole life is worshiping him and knowing him and enjoying him and just having my mind blown. 
Number one way you can, or not number one, one of the most profound ways you can worship God is by having your mind blown by him because he's on your heart, on your mind. What do I do with this kingdom can't be shaken? I hold tight to Jesus and I have my mind blown by him all the time. I think of him, I, I'm in awe of him and reverence of him and I live my whole life in light of him. And we get life. If, if you don't know him and you're living for these things, you're like, yep, everything I'm living for is dust. Yeah, it's all dust, but Jesus nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can get in. He'll say, in hopelessness and despair, he will save you from yourself and make you his own and give you himself. Nothing you can do to earn that. You receive it as a gift. And if you don't know him, today is the day. And if you do, man, it's so easy to live for dust. Be careful. Be honest with yourself and with him. Let's pray. Uh, King Jesus, we thank you for today. I just pray we'd be blown away uh, at your unending love, your power, your mercy, your grace, your holiness, your bigness, your closeness, ineffable, transcendent. I'm just a dude. I pray that I wouldn't think too highly of myself and we wouldn't build, I wouldn't build my life and Anchor Church wouldn't build their life on me but on you, Jesus. So help us to do that. Help us to hang tight on the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Help us to live for your glory. Please give us joy. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.